Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life. We welcome all of you, especially if you're here for the first time. It's amazing that you would be here for the first time on Memorial Day weekend, but we're glad that you're here. And thank you, thankful that all of you who are here are here. Uh, We are celebrating a very important weekend. Um, You know, we're citizens of at least two kingdoms. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven if we're followers of Jesus Christ. And we're also citizens of the United States of America. And throughout the New Testament, we find uh, that we are told that we're supposed to obey the governing authorities, of course, only so far as we're not disobeying the kingdom of God and Jesus' authority. But this country is great country, and we have the freedom to do what we're doing right now, to gather to worship. I've been in places around the world where you can't do this. It, it just wouldn't be possible. And so I, take, uh, I, I don't take it for granted that we get to do what we do. And, uh, you know, we have two basic holidays that we celebrate those who have served. And and the Veterans Day in November is when we honor those who have served who are still with us. But this is the time when we honor those who have served who died. They've given the ultimate sacrifice that a person can give. In fact, Jesus said, greater life, love has no one than this, than they lay down their life for their friends. And so uh, we honor those this weekend who have done that. And let's take a moment right now, pause and pray uh, and give thanks to God uh, for, for them and for this country. Almighty God, we thank you this day that we have people who from the 1700s until this present day have served you in this nation's military. And some of them have just served because they wanted to serve this country. But God, whether they served out of their love for you or just out of a love for this country, we thank you for their sacrifice today. Uh, those who, who didn't come home, those who left with the, the, the desire to keep us free, to give us the right to, to pray, to speak, to do the things that we sometimes do take for granted, God, and we don't today. So we ask, God, your blessing upon uh, particularly the families of those who are remaining, uh, who have given their lives in recent times and have left loved ones uh, without a, a mother or dad or without uh, children. So we pray, God, today, your blessing upon uh, them and on this nation. We pray that we might honor you in our lives this day and always. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're closing out a series. If you're here for the first time, you saw the bumper video said, Make War. And that's, it's been a seven-week series. And if you, if you haven't seen any of them or if you missed some of them, you can go to newlifexn.org and you can watch them or listen to them. If you have a smartphone or some kind of electronic device, you can download the New Life app and you can watch them or listen to them there. But this series has had a very particular purpose, and that is to look at what the church has called down through the ages the seven deadly sins. And we started with pride back on Easter weekend, and we've worked our way through lust, and then um, envy, and greed, and uh, anger, oh, sloth, I forgot sloth, and then today, we're going to look at gluttony. Now, of the seven deadly sins, uh, if I were to uh, ask you to rank them from the worst to to the least, and obviously every sin is deadly because it separates us from God, but I'm guessing that gluttony would probably be number six or seven on most people's list. It's probably not the, the biggest sin that people think about, and, and perhaps that's because um, we uh, probably most of us uh, commit that sin 
on a pretty regular basis. And when we think of gluttony, we probably think of food and drink, but the, the truth of the matter is we can be gluttons in any area. It's any area where we go to excess. So we could be gluttons for video games or gluttons for work, for that matter. But when we look on the dictionary and we look up the word gluttony, here's what we find. Excessive eating and drinking. And, uh, and as I said, I think maybe most of us probably give ourselves a pass on this one because most of us do it. I mean, how many of you, don't raise your hand, okay, but how many of you ever gone to an all-you-can-eat buffet and eaten all you could eat? Huh. I mean, really. And in fact, several years ago, I went to the pirate game with my brother Ken and my nephew Matt, and Ken found out that there's these things called the all-you-can-eat seats. And so we decided to, you know, we bought the tickets for the all-you-can-eat seats. And so my, my, my nephew, Matt, I'm, the Marshall family's a little competitive uh, and maybe more than a little. But anyway, we decided to have a competition to see who could eat the most um, dollars worth of food at the pirate game. Now, remember, hamburgers cost eight bucks. Okay, so I'm just trying to build my case here that it wasn't so bad as it sounds. I ate $72.50 worth of food. Uh, I won. I, I have the Marshall record for the most food eaten at all-you-can-eat seat. But actually, I was just being a good steward. You see, because the tickets cost 40 bucks, and I ate $72.50 worth of food, so actually what I was really doing was I was saving money. You see how we do that? I mean, that's what the world does, doesn't it? The world tells us, you know, you don't have to count the truth as the truth. You don't have to call sin, sin. There's always a way to get around it, you know? And in fact, what we're going to look at this morning is this getting around it. We, we're always finding a way to get around it. And, uh, and so we had this same take-home point for every message in the series because we can't get around it. And uh, so if you're here for the first time, the, the take-home point is the one point that we seek to make in the message that we hope we'll take it home. That's why it's called the take-home point. And we'll pray about it and think about it. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, live it out in the week ahead. And so the take-home point has been this. Things are not what they seem. There's a war going on. And you play a vital, and I play a vital role in the outcome. Well, when it comes to things not being what they seem, when it comes to gluttony, what we're going to find out is it actually comes to a much bigger thing than that. Uh, the things that, that's not what it seems is our citizenship. Our citizenship, we think of ourselves as Americans primarily, or maybe we think of ourselves as earthlings, you know, I don't know. But we, we have this citizenship here on the earth. But what we are going to read in the scripture today is that our primary citizenship, if Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, is in heaven. Our primary citizenship is not as Americans, not as earthlings, but as citizens of the kingdom of the living God. So that's the first thing that's not what it seems. And then the war, we've made very clear throughout this seven-week period of time that the war that's going on, that's a spiritual war. And that spiritual war started before human beings were on the planet. Before human beings were created by God and put on the planet, there was a war in heaven. And Lucifer, the chief angel, decided that he wanted to be God. And so he rebelled against God, and a third of the angels rebelled against God. And, of course, when you rebel against God, you're going to lose. And Satan did lose. Um, we used to call him Lucifer. Now we call him Satan or the devil. He was cast down to the earth along with those angels who are now demons. And so we can't see them. But they're all around us. And their goal is to get us to be on their side. And actually don't really care if we're on their side. They just don't want us to be on God's side. They don't want us to be in a relationship with God because they're not. And, you know, and misery only loves miserable company. You know, they say misery loves company. Misery doesn't love company. Misery loves miserable company. I've been around miserable people. They don't like it very much because I'm not miserable. You understand? So the devil and his demons, he wants miserable company. And so he tempts us to do these seven deadly sins. And if we do, then we lose 
And, and, but the good news is we don't have to lose. I mean, that's the last thing that there's, you play a vital role. You play a vital role because if Jesus Christ becomes Savior and Lord in your life and in my life, then we play a vital role in this war, this battle that's going on, because we can win. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have victory over all of these sins. Now, Jesus already won the war. When he died on the cross, he, he nailed sin to the cross. And, and so sin lost, the devil lost, but there are still skirmishes and battles going on until Jesus returns. So things aren't what they seem. We are actually citizens of heaven first. There's a war going on. It's a spiritual war, and it's going to go on until Jesus comes back, and then the devil and his, de- his minions are going to be put away. And, and those who have trusted Jesus, Savior, and Lord are going to reign with him. In the meantime, we get to live out this battle in victory so long as we put God first. Now, as we're going to see in the passage from Scripture today, it's Philippians chapter 3. It starts in verse 17. If you have your Bible or Bible app, you might want to be turning there even right now. Um, Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to a church in a place called Philippi. He warned them to put Jesus Christ first in everything they are and everything they do even in their eating. So while the sin of gluttony may be the most condoned or at least the most committed sin that we have in our country, it's the least, it's the most difficult to hide. I mean, if you have the sin of gluttony in your life, people can actually see it. You know, I mean, the only reason you can't see the sin of gluttony in my life is because since last August, I've lost 30 pounds. And I lost those same 30 pounds at least six times in my adult life because I like to eat. And I like to eat stuff that's really bad for me, um, and I'm not bragging about that. In fact, I'm going to talk about why I don't do that anymore and, and why all of us ought not to do it anymore because the scripture is pretty clear about that. But the reality is when we wake up in the morning and look in the mirror, we can see probably whether we've been committing the sin of gluttony. Most of the other sins, you can't really see them on the outside. But you can see gluttony on the outside. And in our culture, as I said, it doesn't make it easy. for. I mean, how in the world, why do they have all-you-can-eat seats at the pirate game? You know, and all you can eat buffets and all you can eat pizza places and all you can get. You see what I mean? The reality, though, is this. Just as we can have victory over lust, over pride, over sloth and all the deadly sins, we can have victory over gluttony in the power of the Holy Spirit. That battle that we talked about last week when we talked about anger between the Holy Spirit and our sinful nature which is still inside of us even after Jesus Christ becomes Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit can always win as long as we submit our nature to him. So we're going to talk more about that. But right now, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you don't, it'll be on the screen, where the Apostle Paul writes this. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, your word is not easy but it does give us the solution to a particular sin, in this case, gluttony. And we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will open our hearts, that you will open our souls to you, that our spirits will connect with your spirit, that we might receive your truth and be empowered to go out and live in victory today and every day in Jesus' name. 
So we're going to break down what Paul said into some pretty simple and easy to follow, I should say simple to follow, maybe not easy to follow instructions about how we can overcome not just gluttony but any sin. And again, uh, we have an outline if you want to follow along. The points are going to be right here. But the very first one is simply this. One way to grow as Jesus' followers is to follow the example set by others. Paul wrote it this way. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. We can learn a lot about how to follow Jesus by following somebody who's following Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in the letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, the first one, he said, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ. You see, the pattern is Jesus Christ. And then we can look around and we can see people who have been following Jesus for a period of time who've been serious about it, and we can sort of watch them and we can follow their pattern. Now, I know something about patterns because I was a carpenter. And in carpentry, for instance, if you're making rafters and all the rafters are the same, you make the first one and it becomes the pattern. In fact, we used to write PAT on it for pattern so that we wouldn't get it mixed up with the other boards. And then when you cut the pattern uh, or cut the other boards, you cut it from the pattern so all of them are relatively the same. That's the idea of a pattern. But here I, I heard one time about this guy. He was making a picket fence and he had 60 pickets that he had to make. And what he did is he took the first board, he made it exactly the size it needed to be. And then he took that board and he put it on top of the next board that he was cutting and he, uh, he marked it and he cut it. But he put the first board aside and he took the second one. And then he used the second one for the pattern for the third one. And then he put the second one aside and used the third one as the pattern for the fourth one. And by the time he got the 60th one, that one was one and a half times longer and wider than the first one. And we know why, right? Because he didn't use the same pattern. The pattern changed over and over and over and over again. And the point is, if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus is in heaven, so you can't really see Jesus, but you look around and you see somebody who's actually following Jesus, and then you follow that person. And actually, when Jesus said to go in all the world and make disciples of all the nations, when we become disciples, we're supposed to follow the pattern of Jesus, obey him, and then we're supposed to be someone that somebody else can, can follow. And in my life, when I've ever wanted to learn anything, I've gone to somebody who knew how to do it. You know, there, there's a saying that says that those who can do, those who can't teach. I don't believe that. I believe that those who can do teach because nobody can teach something that they don't know. And so it's the same way what Paul was saying is look around, find somebody who's imitating Jesus and follow them because Jesus is the pattern. And this is probably the, the, the next best thing you can do. Then he says next this, the best way to identify a false follower of Jesus is to look at the basics. Whoops, I skipped one. I skipped one. Let me not skip it. Not everyone who claims Jesus as Savior and Lord is living as Jesus' follower. This is an important one because Paul writes, for as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And here's the thing. Paul was talking about people who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ. He wasn't talking about pagans. He wasn't talking about the people in Philippi who were still worshiping idols. He was talking about people in the church in Philippi. He was talking about people in the churches all around that he had started. They're continuing to live in the ways that make them enemies of God. And, you know, Jesus said something like this as well. What Jesus said, he put it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And Jesus was not saying that we're saved by works. We are not saved by works. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His blood shed for our sins is what takes away our sins and brings us salvation. But what Jesus and Paul were saying is when somebody is following Jesus, their actions will look like Jesus. 
Have you ever heard the saying, if it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, flies like a duck, it's probably a duck? Ever heard that? Well, what Paul was saying, what Jesus was saying, what they were saying was, if a person says they're following Jesus, but they don't think or speak or act like Jesus, they might not be following Jesus. You see, we could take a duck, I could hold a duck up here and say, this is an eagle, but it would still be a duck. And I can say I'm a Christian, but if I'm not following Jesus, then Paul would say, Jesus would say, well, maybe I'm not a Christian if I'm not following him. And so Paul also said the best way to identify a false follower of Jesus is to look at the basics. You know, so many times uh, people want to argue doctrine, you know, teaching of the church or theology. But Paul doesn't say look at somebody's doctrine, look at somebody's theology, look at the way they interpret the Bible. He says, this is what he says about these false people. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Uh-oh. Their God is their stomach. That's where I got the title for the message today. You know, an unlikely God. That's what the title of the message is. If we wanted to define gluttony from a single verse in the Bible, this would be it. Their God is their stomach. But Paul didn't say that in isolation. He said that in the context of four different statements. He said, number one, their destiny is destruction. And then he said their God is their stomach. And then he said their glory is in their shame and their mind is on earthly things. So while Paul was talking about gluttony as we are, he put it in the context. It's much bigger than that. He was talking about sin overall. He said, first of all, he said their destiny is destruction. Now, now think about that. If we practice any sin, our destiny is destruction. That can be physically true. I mean, all of us know that sin can cause us to die physically, but it's also eternally true that if we practice sin as a way of life and we never trust Jesus as Savior and Lord and we never let the Holy Spirit work in our life, then ultimately we're not just going to die physically, but we're going to die spiritually too, and we're going to be separated from God forever in a place that Jesus and many other uh, New Testament writers talk about as hell. That's sort of scary to me. The reason it's scary to me is because I eat $72.50 worth of food at the all-you-can-eat seats at Pittsburgh Pirate PNC Park, right? I mean, and in that moment, I wasn't putting God first, right? I would have to say that my God that day was my stomach, and actually it was my, my God the next three days too because I felt miserable for those next three days. And as I think about that, notice what it says next. Their glory is in their shame. Have you ever said, man, I ate so much, you know, and it's like you're bragging about it. Or I drank so much or I played video games for 16 hours. You know, that's gluttony and and we glory in our shame. And then the final thing that he says is our, our minds are on earthly things. And when our minds are on earthly things, it's really hard for us to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So over the years... A lot of people have wanted to debate me about theology. You know, I mean, I, I love a good theological debate. You know, what does the Bible say? What does this mean? But, but Paul said it's a little more basic than that. Like, how much did you eat today? I mean, when we want to talk about where our faith is, it starts with the basics. It starts with little things, and then we move to the bigger things. So Paul then offers us a solution. If we're walking in the wrong direction, Paul wants to offer the solution, and here it is. The antidote to gluttony and all other sins is remembering where our citizenship lies. One of the things I I love this about the Apostle Paul, because he's very blunt. He always tells us what the problem is. I mean, that's what Paul does. Here's the problem. Now here's the solution. He always does that. I mean, you read all of his letters, and he'll say, here's the problem, and here's the solution, and the solution will ultimately lead to your salvation, which will ultimately lead to you living a different life here on earth, and will ultimately lead to you being in heaven with God forever. And here, Paul tells us 
And, and throughout Philippians, actually, there's this recurring theme of citizenship. And what Paul says is this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. Would you please say that with me? Our citizenship is in heaven. One more time. Our citizenship is in heaven. And if, you, if Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord, we are citizens of heaven now. It's not like we're going to be citizens of heaven when we die. A lot of people think that, you know, I'm not really a citizen of heaven yet because I haven't died yet. I've got to go to heaven to be a citizen of heaven. No, you don't. When I go to Cuba, I'm still a citizen of the United States of America. In fact, every time I go to Cuba, every February I get there, I get off the plane, it's immediately obvious that I am not a citizen of this country. Because first thing is, they speak Spanish way better than I do. And even when I try to speak their language, it doesn't sound the way they say it. And then I look around and I don't wear the same clothes that they wear. I don't have the same complexion as most of them. I have the different eye color than almost all of them. And, and it's just pretty obvious that I'm not a citizen of that country. But then the cool thing is, I go to wherever the place is where we're teaching the pastors and missionaries, and when we sit down and start talking with each other, it's obvious that we're citizens of the same country. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's now. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven right now. When we start talking with each other and we start recognizing that Jesus is our king, then that makes us citizens of the kingdom of God, the citizens of heaven. And when we know that, then we have that in common with people all over the world. And it doesn't matter that we're not citizens of Cuba or Cambodia or Thailand or whatever, or the United States. Those things don't matter nearly so much as it matters our citizenship in heaven. So did you notice that when Paul said that we're citizens of heaven, he says, and? He says, and we eagerly await our Savior from there. So why do we need to eagerly await our Savior from heaven if we're already citizens of heaven? Why do we need Jesus to come back here to establish his kingdom if we're already citizens of the kingdom? Well, he tells us, he says this, Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be, they will be like his glorious body. We await our Savior because even though we're now citizens of heaven, we still have a lot of vestiges of that old life. Our bodies are one of them. Every morning when I wake up, I'm going to be 60 in a week and a half. You know, every morning when I wake up, I'm reminded of something. I don't have a glorious body. I used to maybe think I did, but I don't anymore. And I wake up, and every morning something's hurting. I mean, yesterday I was driving along, and all of a sudden you hear this loud crack. And Nancy goes, was that your thumb? Yeah, that was my thumb. Uh, all I was doing was driving. I mean, it's not a hard activity, right? So we look for this glorious body someday that we're going to get when Jesus comes back. It's going to be an eternal body, and it's not going to have any pain or any problems anymore. And notice that Paul puts that in the context of this conversation about what? About gluttony. I don't think there's an accident there that Paul is talking about this future when everything's perfect, when he's talking and drilling in on this one particular sin. And notice that he pointed out how some folks who live here on the earth, folks who claim that they're following Jesus, aren't really following Jesus. They're enemies of Jesus. And then he says, this is the deal. If your destiny is destruction, if your God is your stomach, if your glory is in your shame, and if you're thinking about earthly things, maybe you should change. Maybe I should change. Maybe our focus needs to be different. Maybe our focus needs to be on being citizens of heaven because one day all citizens of heaven are going to have a glorious body that's not going to ever wear out, ever. Forever we're going to be with him. And so this is sort of the punchline of this entire series. And I want it up on the screen because I want you to take a look at it. This is very important. If we say we follow Jesus, 
Then are we living more and more as Jesus lived in Jesus' resurrection power? That is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Is he in charge of our bodies, our souls, and our spirits? Or are we letting the devil make us do it? I put that in quotes because the devil can't make us do anything if Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of our lives. But you know, the last time I went to an all-you-can-eat buffet, I didn't eat all I could eat. Do you know what that makes me? A winner. (laughs) You see, if you go to all-you-eat buffet and you don't eat all you can eat, then that means that your God is no longer your stomach. It means that maybe the God you say is your God is your God. And, And here's the thing. I've been saying for nearly 48 years that Jesus Christ is my God. And the question is, is he? You see, because not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of our Father in heaven. And that's, that's really the, the matter that we're talking about here. It's that important that when we say that Jesus is our Lord, is that he is Lord. So who is God in your life right now? Is it, is it Jesus? Is it your stomach? Is it your work? Is it your play? Is it your family? A long time ago, I heard someone say, here in America, we worship our work. We work at our play, and we play at our worship. Now, that's the kind of statement, if you're serious about following Jesus, that's going to give you some pause. We worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. And I, and I ask myself sometimes, am I worshiping my work right now? You know, and, and am I working at my play? I mean, think about that one. How hard we try to win when we play. And it becomes like a job, and if we lose, we feel, and even if the teams we care about lose, you know, hey, how about those Pirates last night, eh, huh? Ten innings, they won, finally, again. See, we start to worship uh, our work, work at our play, and then we play at our worship. And so we need to ask ourselves that question pretty regularly. So how often over the years have you heard me say this? Information minus application equals information. But information plus application equals transformation. And and that's really the key. That's what it comes down to again today. In a little while, we're going to go home, right? We're going to go out there into the world. And guess what we're going to have an opportunity to do pretty quick after that? Eat. I imagine most of you are going to eat lunch today, right? And and probably going to eat dinner. So how are you going to do that as a follower of Jesus Christ? You might have an opportunity to relate with a family member this afternoon. You might have an opportunity, you know, to turn on the television or not. You might have an opportunity to look at the wonderful world that God created and say, wow, or you might just take it for granted. You see, all of the little things, and that's what we've been talking about here this morning. I mean, is there anything smaller than eating? I mean, it's something we have to do every day. If we don't do it, we're going to, you know, starve to death. So it's not something we can avoid, but it's also something that Paul says is very important. And, you know, one of the things that's very, very clear is that when I examine myself, I get so frustrated at how many times I don't let the Holy Spirit be in control of my life. And what frustrates me even more is how many times I don't even think about it. You know, I just do what I do naturally without even thinking about it. And it's, it's so easy And yet I've been following Jesus for 48 years. And so as we think about this particular message in the context of all of these messages, the Holy Spirit is available to every believer. The Holy Spirit is available to each person in that battle that's going on, whatever the sin might be. It doesn't matter any of the sin or any of the ones that we haven't talked about. Whatever your sin of choice might be that you tend to go back to over and over and over again, the Holy Spirit's there ready to bring victory. And when we've developed Uh, in our lives, this opportunity 
to live for Jesus, but we, we so often don't. I, I, think we've, I think we have a very strange version of Christianity here in America. What I mean by that is so many times as American Christians, uh, we say, well, I want to be a good person, but not too good because then I might not fit in with my friends. You see, if I'm too good, then I won't really fit in with my group. And I, I, I want to I follow Jesus, but when it starts to cost us significantly, you know, whenever we have to change our lifestyle, maybe, maybe how we spend or maybe, you know, how we relate with people or, or even how we eat, we say, whoa, that's a little bit too hard. Remember a couple weeks ago, I've used this quote many times over the years, but I used it a couple weeks ago from G.K. Chesterton. He said, the Christian life has, hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And as we go out today, my prayer is that we'll live into the difficulty, that we'll pray and that we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come in in those areas of difficulty in our lives and overcome them so that we have victory. And, you know, as we have one little victory, one little victory, one little victory, one little victory in these little things, eventually a big thing is going to come up and we'll have victory there too. And that's what the Christian life is all about, just taking the next step and the next step and the next step. And little steps, little steps, little steps. Eventually, over time, it becomes a big thing in our lives. And so that leads us to today's commitment. It says, I will overcome gluttony through Jesus' resurrection power this week. It doesn't get much more small or basic than that, does it? You're going to go home today. You're going to have lunch. You're going to have dinner. Then tomorrow, you're going to have three more opportunities to eat. I guess I should say at least three more opportunities to eat, right? <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You can't really practice gluttony in some places, but here we can. We get to. We get to practice gluttony. Almost all of us. Not, I know, they're, they're, you know 10 or 15% people in America are, are hungry too, but most of us, most of the time, can go home and open up the refrigerator and choose whether we're going to be gluttons or not. We get to choose whether we're going to do the things that are going to honor God or not honor God with our lives. And so every victory that we have in one area will give us power in another area, in another area, in another area. That's how the Christian life works, if it works. And it does work when we let the Holy Spirit be in charge. So does the devil make us do it? No. Not if we're followers of Jesus. As I said last week, you know, uh, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then the devil can make you do things. Because you don't belong to Jesus and you don't have the authority over the devil. But when you're a follower of Jesus, when he's Lord and Savior in your life, then there is nothing and no one that can force us to do anything that we don't want to do. And that's the key, that we don't want to do if we let the Holy Spirit be in charge. So we're going to close out this series with a prayer of commitment. I like to do that sometimes, you know, because we've been talking about some very serious things. Big things and little things, it seems. They're all big, though. And actually, they're all little if Jesus Christ is in charge of our lives and the Holy Spirit is. But I'm going to have them put that prayer up on the screen. And I want you to see it before we pray it because I never want to have people just say something, you know, just to say it. But it says, Heavenly Father. So we're acknowledging that we have a God who is our Heavenly Father. He cares more about us and we care about ourselves. I confess that I have failed repeatedly in so many areas as a citizen of heaven. So that's a, that's a statement that I'm a sinner. Right now, I turn away from that. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Forgive me and restore me to you. So we're asking for him to forgive us and restore us to this new relation, right relationship. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your resurrection power, that I may win the battles. Now, see, there's going to be a battle. There probably is a battle going on in some of you right now. To either glorify you, that's God, or reject you. That, those battles are going on thousands of times every week that I face each moment. I love you, and I commit myself to follow wherever you lead in the small and big moments of life. 
Thank you for letting me enjoy your grace and extend your glory. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we pray that prayer, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of your life at this moment, he can be. Lord means owner. So what you simply do is give over ownership. You know, Jesus never tells us anywhere in the Bible to accept him. A lot of people say you need to accept Jesus. Well, you do, but, you know, he tells us to surrender, to give up, to give our lives over to him. And so if you've never done that, right now would be a good moment to do that. And if you do, what it means is he becomes owner and he gives you his spirit so you can now live this life, this victorious life that we've been talking about, which we talk about actually every week here at New Life. So uh, if you would like to pray this prayer with me right now, please do. Heavenly Father, I confess I have failed repeatedly in so many areas as a citizen of heaven. Right now I turn away from that. Forgive me and restore me to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your resurrection power, that I may win the battles to either glorify you or reject you that I face each moment. I love you and commit myself to follow wherever you lead in the small and big moments of life. Thank you for letting me enjoy your grace and extend your glory. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.